Well, hi there. My name is Lena Evajemra, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Every week we meet on Thursday afternoons, and it is a joy for me to be with you. Uh, listen, I don't just tell you this, I mean it. It is a highlight of my week. Right now, it's a particularly encouraging time for me. We just released my book, Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. So the conversations we've been having on the podcast have been just so rich, and I'm so excited in introducing you to a new guest every week. If you haven't gotten the book yet, you need to. It's available on Amazon. We're going through it on Thursday nights in a book club fashion on our Facebook uh, Living with Power community page that you can join live, in fact, tonight. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, do that. Join that page. And uh, if you're already subscribing to this podcast, thank you. If you've already written a review, thank you. We sure appreciate it. Mostly, we're just glad you landed here. Uh, We believe God is doing something here. We try to uh, focus all our attention on what God is doing in this world, but more specifically in the season, what he's doing in your life. So today we got um, somebody that I've been looking forward to talking to because I've just almost finished his book. And this guy uh, is a healer. Really, he uh, is a uh, got a PhD in leadership, but has focused all of his work on um, helping people who have gone through all sorts of abuse, but specifically spiritual abuse. His PhD was uh, specifically focused on impression management, which you'll figure out what that is in a minute, uh, and specifically in evangelical organizations. His name is Dr. Wade Mullen. If you have done any reading in uh, topics related to spiritual abuse, and boy, I'm so sad to say there has been a lot of stories in the last couple of years focused on that. I'm sure you've come across him if you're on Twitter. I'm sure you've seen some of his work. He uh, lives in Pennsylvania and has a wife and four kids, which in and of itself surprises me that you get anything else done, Dr. Mullen, but uh, your book, man, that book I've just loved and I want to get into here uh, shortly. Uh, the title is Something's Not Right, and uh, the subtitle sort of explains it so uh, clearly here. It's um, decoding the hidden tactics of abuse and freeing yourself from its power. A bit of a mouthful, but it really explains what this book is, and indeed you have delivered in that, and just a joy to have you here. Thanks for giving us the time today. Thanks, Lena. It's an honor to be on the show with you. Well, listen, I uh, um, I, I, I want to sort of get into a, a lot of things. I, I was intrigued reading a lot about you on your website, and and, and I, I feel like in some ways our lives may have intersected in the past. But but you know, and, uh, one of the fascinating things was looking at your dissertation, which I haven't gotten yet. I, I've planned to read it because you've really you sort of landed in an area of. Uh, and I think you can tell us a little bit about your PhD here in a second, but you landed on studying three cases where I want to sort of get to the punchline. There were uh, one of which is the Mars Hill, you know, you were looking at cases of abuse and spiritual abuse. And, and one was uh, the Mars Hill. One was, of course, the Sovereign Grace, Grace Ministries. And both have been in the news so much. The third, probably not as much in the news now, but, cl- you know, sort of close to my life. Uh, and, and it was uh, a familiar place in that I had been to undergrad at the uh, Place that you um, looked at in your PhD. So I was sort of fascinated by even a few years ago, as you started your work in this, uh, you sort of landed on uh, areas that now are so heavily in the news. And so how does that, like, have you felt like sort of in some ways, like, 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 does that make you feel sad or more like, see, like I've been saying this all along, like you've got to have some impression on what's happening in evangelicalism today as, as it pertains to leadership debacles and abusive situations. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of sadness and hope. I think the sadness comes from seeing and witnessing so much harm uh, that's been done to individuals, often in the name of God and within the walls of the church. And and that is very saddening. Um, it makes me angry. And as I was going through the PhD research, I had collected 
hundreds of these cases and at one point had to decide, okay, I need to narrow my focus. And so created some criteria that helped me decide which cases I was going to focus my efforts on. And, you know, these three organizations met the criteria that I had established. And so I narrowed my focus on these three organizations, not knowing that, okay, there's going to, in the years you know ahead, there's a lot more high profile high profile cases that are going to emerge, and that is sad. Every time you read a story, hear a story of of trauma within the walls of the church, it ought to make us sad and angry. But at the same time, there's this there's this hope that I have that stories that ought to be told are being told. That secrets that people shouldn't have to bear by themselves they are coming into the light and and that can result in good things like justice and healing and reform and change and a safer future. So I have this mixture of sadness and anger and, and, and hope it's okay. We're going through, you know, a really critical time right now in the church. Well, as a doctor, you know, myself, I always think about like infections and sort of, it feels like we're not quite yet to a healing stage. Like as much as we're definitely, you know, the infection's there, like we're not in a hidden, you know, there's times before you get an infection, like things are brewing in your body, but it's not evident. We're definitely past that. You can sort of see the bus, but it's not healed yet. I feel like that's the season we're at. And social media has probably helped in, in that regard. So that there's a lot more awareness of these conversations. But now you started your work early on, maybe even before people were talking a lot of abuse in the church. What even triggered, how did you land in this field? Yeah, so, you know, and I started the research in 2015, um, and I think Church 2 took off in about, I mean, and Me Too took off in 2017 or so. So it was a couple of years be- before that happened that I was looking into this and seeing we really have a problem. I got into that because I went through a very difficult situation at the church that I was on staff at as a pastor and saw mm-hmm. how abuses can be covered up within the walls of a church and how much damage that can do. And as I had an opportunity to, as a student, dig into that and explore that phenomenon, like how Christian organizations specifically are using what are called impression management strategies in the wake of something like an abuse disclosure that might threaten their image, I I, I thought, you know, if I could if I can reach an understanding of this and shed some light on it, then perhaps that will, that will give survivors some insight that they need to understand what happened to them. And it'll also hopefully give churches and organizations, people who are leading these places, some insight and some wisdom so that they know, okay, this, this is how, this is how things get covered up. And this is how sin and darkness is, perpetuated but there's another way there's it is possible it is possible to be transparent and to tell the truth and to um, pursue justice and so so I wanted to try to shine a light on a, a critical problem that I had experienced in my own life and thought you know you know there's there's something to this and and so that's how I got started on that academic yeah. journey what was the time gap? So like, it's, it's intriguing to me, even like, like you're, you know, you've got a PhD, you're doing level, high level work on this stuff. But like, like I'm even reading your book, like the beginning, you sort of gloss over that a little in the sense of like the details of it. But like, 
you know, the title of your book, sorry, I mean, you think you have a very deep understanding of what people go through because you've went, got, gone through it. But there's a sentence like your title is what I was thinking for almost a year or maybe a year and a half before I actually made a decision to leave a church that I thought was toxic. Now, it, and it was like, sometimes there's a sense, like, I can't put my finger on it. Something's not right. What, you know, can you lean into that? Like, how did you come up with that title? And, and was that what you were, because you almost feel like you got a better sense of what was happening to you. Is that just hindsight? Or when you were walking through your pain and the, what was happening in your church, did you understand what was happening? Or was it a process of, under, of studying and, and doing more research that you sort of gleaned more insight? No, I mean, I, I didn't quite, you know, see it fully when I was going through it, especially early on and doing the research helped to open my eyes. And so I was going through this literature and seeing here's how organizations over time have covered up wrongs and crimes. And then also going through the Bible and realizing that the same tactics that individuals and organizations use to deceive other people in order to gain power, retain power, these are the same tactics of deception that evil itself has been using throughout history. And you see examples of, of, of this in the Bible, even going all the way back to the garden. So that was just an eye-opener to me. And what I was able to do through the research is begin to create categories and begin to create labels and definitions for these tactics of deception. Then when I was facing them in the church that I was at and sitting across from an abusive individual, you know, somebody who was trying to enable that abuse or cover it up, I was able to, in those moments, say, here's what, here's what I believe you're doing. And I was mm. able to name it and describe it and call it out. And that, was, that, that changed the trajectory of my journey there and since. And so it, there was this sense that I had early on before the education that something's not right. And, I th and, the, and the title of the book is trying to capture that place that often we're at when we're in the middle of an abusive situation. And we know, okay, something's lurking in the shadows. Something is beneath the surface. There's something in the air that I can't quite, I can't yeah. quite encapsulate. It's just, I just know something's not right. And so the book is trying to help people come, go from a point of recognizing that to being able to actually name what specifically isn't right and describe it. Well, and I think this is, I mean, I want to get into the tactics in a second, but before I do, I mean, I, I think, you know, even reading your intro, like it's funny to me because even I leave my place of, you know, where I was for years. And I, of course, talk about that in my book and the pain that sort of accompanied that original, you know, leaving and the sense of shame, like maybe I was making a mistake, maybe I was on the, you know, all of the stuff that, that goes along with that. But, but I think what messed with me is like, I don't know that I had words to even say, I think there's a spiritual abuse environment there. And it almost felt almost like that. I, I didn't, for me, at least it, it felt like the situation, I didn't deserve that that label in a, in a sense, like almost like my experience w wasn't worthy of being called spiritual abuse because I wasn't directly abused, which mm -hmm. in a sense, like, you know, like you've got physical abuse, like, you know, a person gets attacked by somebody else, on, on, you know, you go to like verbal abuse, you go, then you got the spiritual abuse, which is just hazy ground. And sometimes it's like, okay, they pick on one person, they attack him. And, and I don't think at the time I was going through it, it even felt like I had a label, which now when I read the first couple of chapters of your book, Oh my goodness, like I feel like everything that happened, like I was at some point a victim of spiritual abuse. Like it's so clear. Do, is this unique to me or is this a general like, 
entity where like people have left churches and sort of without quite knowing what happened, but something turned their life upside down. And now they look back and go, I'm not sure what that was. But when you sort of start reading and giving those words, you're going to go, I think this was spiritual abuse. Like, is this a common aha moment for people? I think it is, you know, and, and it was for me when I was going through this at the church, it took an older, you know, wiser, more insightful couple who met with my wife and I, and, you know, they just said, this is abuse. And, and I needed to hear that. I hadn't arrived at that point yet, but I was being wounded. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's sometimes, you know, a difficulty for us is to acknowledge the ways in which we're being wounded. You know, just like if you do go to a, a doctor's office and you may do that reluctantly. I mean, I've done that in the past where they, yeah. Yeah, I don't really need to be at the doctor, you know, and, and then the doctor's like, no, it's good. It's good. You game, you know, because you, you, you really need some intervention, you know, and you need some help and you do have wounds that need to be healed. And I think that's an important step, you know, for us to take when we, we perhaps are at a point where we're, we're not ready ourselves to say, you know, this this is how I've been treated and this is how it has affected me. This is how it's wounded me. Um, it often, I think, takes other people to see that and diagnose that, but it is critical because that's only when you do that can you begin to take steps toward freedom and you begin to recognize, okay, these are these are the things that need to change if, if that's possible. And right. here are the ways in which perhaps I can experience some healing. Well, what are some of the signs in your experience now that you would say, well, it has to be two or three things. Like if these things are there, you you know, maybe it's more than two or three, but besides getting to the tactics, I guess I want to get to that. But like, how would you be able to tell someone listening, maybe they've gone through some church hurt, but they don't have that idea that, you know, maybe this was abuse. What are those signs that one might be able to point to and say, these are signs you've probably gone through some form of, or are going through some form of spiritual abuse? Yeah. And I, and I, I think there are some like physiological signs, you know, like I, you know, went to see a therapist and that was very helpful to me. And, and that's something that, you know, I'm not an expert in. And so I think there might be um, physical symptoms or there might be mental symptoms or might be like those kind of health symptoms that another person Mm -hmm. expert might be able to diagnose and then help you to discern whether or not this is coming from, experiences that you're having or trauma or something like that. I think, you know, what I do, you know, study and can speak into is the nature of the situation itself and, and the, the sociological aspects of that, you know, so how people are interacting with you and where red flags can be seen in those interactions and then how those interactions are, are, are right. impacting the environment that you're in. So for example, I say, you know, I think one of the red flags, one of the red flags is this feeling of being trapped, you know, where you feel like you're being held captive, that there's no way out. There's no opportunity to speak up and to share a concern. There's no even opportunity to say something's not right because that's going to be seen as being disloyal or that's going to be seen as too threatening. And so that's a red flag, like where you are in a place that is supposed to be providing freedom and security and supposed to be a refuge. And yet you feel like you're in a psychic prison. You feel like you're Mm -hmm. being held captive. And then also, I think another big red flag is being in a place where you feel very confused. And that's often because the abusive institution, the environment is wanting to keep you confused by keeping you 
separated from information that you want to have. And so leadership doesn't share information with people that ought to have that information. They keep it from them. And so you end up being in this place where you feel both captive, you don't know what to do, and then also feeling very confused. You don't know what's true. And and so you feel lost, you feel alone, you feel like you're in this pit, you're in this cage. And so those are ingredients, I think, of an abusive environment. And you can begin to kind of discern whether or not those are the kinds of experiences you're having. Right. And so like you talk a lot about um, so uh, impression management and leaders who who sort of, um, you know, I guess, behave a certain way to protect the institution and in churches. And in Christian organizations, I mean, obviously, you know, the language is, oh, you're protecting God's image. Like, you know, so tell us a bit more, like maybe delve into what is impression management? Is that like, can you can you summarize some of that and maybe how that plays into the tactics that the abuser will use in order to, again, uh, protect that impression or image or uh, and, and on? Yeah, impression management is, you know, process that somebody or a group of people so it could be individual level like where you know one person is engaging in this or it could be a group of people who are teaming together it's it's a process where they attempt to shape the perceptions the impressions the images that an audience is forming of them so that audience could be a boss it could be a subordinate that audience could be church members that audience could be the public uh, the audience could be the police, you know. So, when somebody is engaging in impression management, they are they are aware of who their audience is, who they're speaking to. They're aware of the situation, and they likely have some goals for how they want their audience to perceive them. And so, they can use different tactics in order to shape that perception. So that's what impression management is. And what I talk about is in the book is the way in which impression management and the many tactics that make up impression management can be used in very deceptive ways without the audience really knowing that they're deceptive, but it, but it has the result of defining the definition that the individual or the organization wants the audience to have of the situation. Well, it's and it's really hard to fight against a lot of that. I mean, so I mean, looking back at my time in, and particularly, I think back on there's a window between when everything's going fine and where you actually leave. So that window to me has been the hardest window to explain. And I, I think in talking to people who have left abusive, specifically church situations, I mean, I, I want to sort of focus on that since that seems to be sort of the brand of the day right now. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. seems to be happening over and over again, and 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 and, and I think there's a sort of yeah, I think there was a sense that, you know, you were ruining a good thing. Like, there, were, you know, there's always that guilt that comes along with feeling like God's going to work here. Like, don't mess it up, you know. And, 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 and no one, like, seemed to see what was so obvious. In fact, I even look back and go, if I had one regret is that I almost would have left six months earlier. You know, maybe I wasn't so bright to see it the day one that things started to go awry, which again, you kind of look back and go, maybe it was always bad. You know, I've heard the the podcast on Mars Hill. You've studied your PhD on that. So I'm sure you've sort of followed that closely, but like there's so many times when you kind of look at a situation and go like, how did everybody miss it? Why do you think people miss it? Like it happened at Sovereign Grace too. Like there's clear 
you know, problems, but Christians, people who are supposed to have a spirit, a spirit of discernment, right? I mean, God gives us a spirit within us. How do we, do we ignore it willfully? Are we naive or is it that we are just so overtaken by a personality that we can't see past them? It's, it's a great question. I mean, and, and I think it's probably a, you know, a mixture of all of that, but primarily it's a result of, I believe, the deception of the individuals in charge. So, for example, you know, I remember being young, um, starting out in ministry and being mentored by an older man who was pastoring a large church. And he told me at one point, never give the people any power Hmm. because they really don't love you. They only love what you're doing for them. So if you give them too much power, the moment you stop performing for them, then they will use that power against you. Now, at the church that he was pastoring, I, I know the people didn't, didn't know that, you know, didn't realize that they didn't have any power. And where that shows up, though, practically, is in the bylaws, it's in policies, it's in the way in which the church is governed, it's how it's set up from the beginning often. And so I think what people need to realize is that there are those out there who are shaping churches in ways that prevent people from being able to exercise their agency, being able to choose from themselves, that prevent people from accessing information that they ought to have. So the question of, you know, should we have seen this earlier? I think one of the things that I want people to understand, the average person who's in the church pew to know is that if you're in a discover that the church has been coercing people, using uh, people for their own benefit, if leaders are, are are really not serving and shepherding, but they're lording over, and you didn't see it, it may be because you were made not to see it. That mm-hmm. the church was designed from the very beginning to ensure that you wouldn't see it, and 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 so I I have you know grace and compassion for those who find themselves in that position of looking back and saying, wow, you know, how, how did I not see this? And, and I think the blame needs to be primarily on those who were, who held the power and had the ability to create a different environment. And then I do think that, you know, there are times when we can look back and say, okay, maybe I, Maybe I didn't pay attention to something I should have paid attention to. Maybe there was a red flag that I ignored uh, because I didn't want to go there, quote unquote, or I didn't want to disrupt the peace, that kind of thing. And I do think there are uh, ways in which we can learn from that and decide moving forward, if I come across some kind of red flag behavior, I'm not going to maybe jump to a conclusion about someone's character but I'm going to make note of that. And maybe if I have opportunity or there's a way to do it, I'm going to say something about that. Well, right. I mean, one of the, you know, I feel like in in hindsight, one of the things that was like, the debate was always like, well, the people created, like you're the ones who idolized, you know, so-and-so leader or so-and-so that led to, you know, you like, there was always sort of a blame. It almost reminds me of like with sexual abuse, like when people say, well, you, you know, to women, well, you were wearing a short skirt, therefore you asked for the abuse. Like it almost has that same tone when you look at spiritual abuse is that mm-hmm. there's almost a sense that, well, it was the people's fault for idolizing the leader, which I get, like, I get that we live in this culture of celebrity Christians and we all do it on, on Instagram on on Twitter like we have our idols that we like a million follower people and 
And I feel like evangelicalism in some ways has really been hurt by that. And maybe for the good, actually, I don't think for the bad, but I, like in the sense that now I think people are sort of over that. And I don't know fully yet. I mean, I still think we're creatures that like to idolize, you know, Hollywood and, and we have our own Christian version of Hollywood. And, you know, do you see that there's an awakening happening yet in the church in terms of like seeing past the, the you know, the fog and, and the limelights and all of those things that, play up on a stage or are we still sort of caught up with this desire for like the people of Israel, we give us a king, give us a king. Like we like those man-made kings that end up being part of our problem. You know, I think sadly, I mean, my outlook is probably might be a little bit too pessimistic, you know, but <laughs> I, I think sadly there is still too much of that. Uh, what the impression management literature would call basking in reflected glory or mm-hmm. burging, you know, where people enjoy the the glory that's being reflected off of a leader that they follow or it could be like a sports team that they're a fan of right so people love to be fans and love to bask in the reflected glory of somebody else's success and and i think as christians we need to be aware of how that can be dangerous and we need to as much as possible move away from that kind of culture and i and i don't see that happening as quickly or as much as i would like because you have so many who are being shown to be abusive uh, so yeah. many who have misused their power and yet they are still they are still operating with a platform, they're still they still have a large following. There's still people yeah. who are basking in their glory. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Who polices that? I mean, in a sense, you know, is that what you're doing now? You're consulting. I mean, I mean, just, oh, yeah. like who? Well, yeah, and I think that's where there's hope. Then is that there are more and more people who are waking up to those dynamics and are becoming more and more sensitive and aware to the ways in which a leader might exploit followers and they're able to call that out maybe from a distance, like an investigative journalist, you know, someone like Julie Roy's, um, somebody, you know, um, who's, who's doing research, you know, like in my case, you know, somebody does research on this and learns about it and then writes about it, you know, so there's more and more of that happening, which is good, but how do you, how do you get it into the hands of those who are actually under that leadership and need it the most, you know, so I, you know, that's, that's, that's difficult. And that's why I think accountability is really important. Uh, churches ought to have these account accountability structures set up. And what you see is people who are destroying these churches and then leaving, you know, leadership, destroying churches, destroying lives, then leaving and setting up shops somewhere else, but making sure this time, like I, like the story I told you in the beginning, mm. they're going to make sure that the people don't have any power. And, and so how do you prevent that? I, I don't know how, I don't know how you can without just continuing to engage in this, this effort to educate as many people as possible so that people who do find themselves in that kind of church can look and say, Hey, you know, why isn't there any accountability here? You know? So, yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, cause yeah, like the, the argument, 
I mean, I grew up in more of a congregational type church. And of course, you know, people in the sort of the mega church movement sort of feel like they went towards at least the churches that I was in towards like an elder run board, which for a while you had the confidence like, well, the elders are, you know, accountable to the, you know, keeping the pastor accountable. But in a sense, you know, that's sort of the thing that I've seen, even like watching some of the stuff unfold at Liberty University and some of the colleges or churches that are at that level is there's just no accountability among elders. There's a setup like the Mars Hill setup, which was basically to to create an executive team that was handpicked by the pastor so that it's a facade. And, and, you know, it, that's frustrating. I mean, I think, again, you almost feel like, man, you know, so t- the repercussion, and I feel like I say this on every one of the conversations that I've had about this is like, like Christians now, like you've got this huge generation of Christians who's like has zero trust of any leadership. Like, I feel like if there's been, you know, a, a negative ramification of all of this is that I really struggle now with like, coming under, like, luckily, I love the guy who's my pastor now. And I mean, I would listen to him. I will admit that. But but I would be cautious. Like, I'm not the easygoing, yes, church discipline person that I used to be, just being very authentic here. I have to fight that then to, like, just, just agree with everything leadership says. And I'm sort of still in the game, right? I mean, so how do you, like, you know, you've kind of sort of have these Christians now who just don't care about leadership and rightfully so. Like, how, how do you trust leadership again? How do you build that trust again? Have you, how did you go into back in a setting where you might be in a church that is healthy and where you're, you know, you can be mutually submissive to people and, and maybe to a leadership structure? Can you speak into that? I, I think it's hard. You know, I'll say that, that it when trust has been betrayed, by people who are in a position of trust, by spiritual leaders, that causes a lasting wound. And it can take time for that trust to return to, you know, the state that it was in before it was bent and twisted. And and it's hard to begin trusting people who are in a similar position to those who had betrayed you. And And so I think the only way is to experience the opposite you know so if somebody in a community or somebody in a position of authority betrayed their trust betrayed your trust in various ways then what you need is to experience somebody in a similar position or a similar community who does the opposite you know instead of manipulating you they're really looking out for your best interest instead of uh, intimidating you when you, you know, bring a concern instead of threatening you when you bring a concern, you know, you actually experience people who listen to you, um, and want to hear what you have to say and take you seriously, you know, so it's experiencing that again, but you know, how you actually find that, you know, it's, you know, every store, every story and situation is, is, is going to be different, but, you know, I believe that there are, more people out there who are genuine, um, they are authentic, they are not out to trap you. I think there's more people out, more good people out there, I believe, in these communities and in these, you know, leadership positions than there are those who are acting in bad faith and seeking to just use people for their own benefit. When you think, and as, I, as you've studied a lot of this over the years, I mean, how do you think 
those abusers across the board that you've looked into and, and heard about? How, how do they, I mean, how, where, where's the fear of God in that? Do you, do they stop thinking about God? Like, I mean, think about, do they not see their, is it is truly ignorance or is it more rebellion? Do you, I mean, it's hard to judge people. I get that. But like, even to understand some of the actions of some of the stories that have played out, like it boggles your mind. And why does that, I mean, and this is maybe more of an existentialist question, but like, why does God let him get away with it for so long? I know. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, those are some of the you know, same questions that I'm wrestling with, you know, especially like, you know, you know, why is this allowed to go on for so long? And why doesn't God intervene? And, right. and how, how does it get this far? And so I wrestle with those kind of questions. And, and the question of, you know, what's really going inside the the person of the you know the abuser what's going on in their heart and mind and and how did they get to this point and uh, you know i i i recognize my limitations you know and you mentioned this and being able to to interpret that and because you really don't know um i there is some you know theory out there that i think is kind of helpful at least to me and there's, you know, this concept of self-deception. Diane Langberg talks a lot about it and others. And I think it's an important concept to understand because when somebody goes down this road of choosing to view people as objects that they can manipulate and coerce and deceive, I think over time, they are not just putting on a show for an audience in order to deceive the audience, but they are also putting on a show for themselves mm. in order to deceive themselves. And so they become in a sense, their own audience. Mm. They put on a performance for themselves. They become somebody that they want to believe they are. And, and so it's this deception of others that's at the same time being produced by and in a symbiotic relationship, you, you know, there's this self-deception working as well. And so they become, they become locked kind of in, in their, in their own deceit. And, mm. and it's a scary thought, you know, but I do think there's something to that. It, I mean, how would a human, I mean, even thinking of it, like, I think, how do we keep from becoming that? Are there some spiritual practices like in your life? I mean, you're a pastor, you've got a PhD, you've now got a book, you've got, I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're not a rock and roll star. I get it. But like, what are some things that you can do in your life and, and individual, because you don't have to have a big, I mean, you could just be alive and start to accrue a social media following, you know, without even any character, you know, any accomplishments now and still have that spotlight on you. Like we're living in a astounding time in, in our ability to garner sort of the approval of man and the, ad the admiration of people around us. Mm -hmm. What are some things you do to safeguard against becoming what we have seen hurt others? Well, for me, you know, I've learned to be aware of these impression management tactics in my own life. And when I might find myself in a position where I, I feel the temptation to shape the impressions that somebody else is forming of me for my own benefit. And, and so becoming more aware of that. And then in that moment, asking the question, why, you know, why is this? You know, why do I, why do I want my boss to think that I'm more successful on this project than I really am. You know, why do I want to 
why, why do I want to praise my boss in a way that maybe isn't sincere, perhaps because there's fear or because I'm hoping for a raise or a promotion, you know? So even in my own life, as I think about my interactions, I have to become more and more aware of them and kind of where they're, where that's coming from. And then I think it's rooted in identity and it's rooted in um, what you value. Uh, and, and for me, I think one of the most important safeguards is to keep my eyes fixed on what matters most and keep my eyes fixed on Christ, keep my eyes fixed on the people closest to me, mm. my own family, my wife, my kids, finding the beauty that's around me in my, in my home life and, and being okay with, with that. You know, my wife and I often talk about our home being a haven mm. and especially with the work that we're kind of doing outside of the home and the battles that we're engaging in our home is our, our haven and, and not just in a kind of material sense, but in a, but in a relational and a spiritual sense, this is, this is our haven. This is what we value most. And for me, it means that even if, even if, you know, my book doesn't sell another copy, even if I don't get an opportunity to, to go on another podcast or, or deliver another message or do anything that might be a, be appealing in, in, in a way because it's brings meaning or um, whatever it is at the externals, you know, reaching a point of saying, I'm okay. Without all of that, I'm okay. Because, because what matters most, you know, are the things that people can't touch, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the love that I have for God and his love for me, the love that my wife and I share, the love that, you know, our kids in our home experience, it's the, the love that we have for gardening and, and cultivating a garden and the flowers in our yard. And, it, you know, so it's yeah. this kind of inner orientation to a home life. That's a, that, and then we say, no, this, this, this is what matters most. And if, and if I, and if I'm just small time, yeah. then I'll be small time and it doesn't matter what people think. Well, as we, I know our time is running up. I want to sort of wrap up with a couple of other questions just to hear finish up. As I, I, but by the way, what you describe is sort of the gospel, right? I mean, it's simple acts of love, and 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 that's sort of the life Jesus lived. I mean, he yeah. later became famous, but this is, this is it. It's like the one-on-one -on -one interactions with people around you. Uh, why do you think? Um, even you know, I want to sort of get to your last thoughts on sort of what you think is happening in the in the what your hope is, I guess, to the church. But but before that, why do you think there's still stories out there? And I, I feel like there's still a bend where people don't trust the abuser, the abused. I'm sorry. So right now, as I'm think, sitting here, I was thinking about some stories on on in Twitter that people have, you know, women in particular. This is even more related to sexual abuse, where it's like. Why are we still of this nature in the church where we doubt someone who says, I've been hurt, I've been abused, and there's some big bodies that are being accused of like overlooking these things. How are we still living in an era where where we don't believe someone who says, Here's what happened to me? And it's horrible to hear because it's a horrible story. But we still kind of there's still enough leaders and bodies in evangelicalism that go, yeah sure you know like give the guy you know and i feel like that's so unjust and so against the heart of god do you see that changing or or are you just as angered by these things or what's happening in our in our church culture that still now after all this doesn't see it yeah and and you're right i mean there is so much um 
toxic responses that are still pervasive in our church cultures. And you see this, you know, I just recently saw this like last week um, in viewing some of the Facebook comments in response to a woman who was choosing to take steps and, and share her story. And you see in the comments, just this, this disbelief and this shaming and this accusing and, and there's still so much that needs to change. And I think we still have a long ways to go when it comes to education. So I think there's a need for people just to become more Educated. Yeah, Yeah. but listen, I I agree about, and I know you're working with uh, an organization that's very well respected. You were mentioning to me before, but I I can give people some slack. What I'm shocked by is the bodies, like, I mean, without getting into, but the the institutional bodies that are hearing these things and not stepping up and not making changes. That's what has me absolutely stunned. And I know bodies are made up of individuals, but if it's from the top, I mean, there's like, there's a denial of what's happening at that level so that then it seeps through the ranks. And why is that acceptable? Why are big bodies of Christian leadership and thought in the United States, not seeing what is obviously before, before their eyes? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I probably have a, another pessimistic view on that and <laughs> my my concern is that uh leadership by and large has responded to church to and me to as something to kind of allow for a time and you know it's sort of like you know when you this hear yeah yeah like this will pass and wow. it's sort of like you know similar to when you hear a, a church leader say, okay, you know, yeah, you know, we've heard, you know, we've heard these victims kind of share what they need to share, you know, now that they've gotten it, you know, we gave them an opportunity to get it off their chest, you know, so let's just yeah. move on. And I wonder if that's kind of the posture yeah. among, you know, the kind of church leadership. And, and that's a concern that I have, because then uh, it might lead to these, these half-hearted attempts to placate survivors and the survivor community and advocates and media stories. Yeah. And now they're at a point where they want to just get back to business as usual. And what they need to know is that this is just the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. And, and there's the only way to address it is to shine light on it and, and instead of just being in this reactive mode, okay, okay, we've gone through this, we've heard the stories. Now, you know, let's let's get back to and you hear this kind of like, let's get back to sharing the gospel, you know, let's get back right. to missions. Let's get right. So Well, and I mean the organization you're associating with now, uh, of course, the Grace, the Boss Javidians organization. Are these organizations funded like by nonprofits? I mean, are they groups that can be supported by people or do you know much about that? I mean, I'm so appreciative for the work you're doing. And I know that there are others like you, Rachel Den Hollander is doing a lot of work in that. I mean, there's just been some huge advocates, Diane Langberg, you mentioned, hope to have her on the podcast later. Julie Royce is taking a hit for the work she's doing, but finally people are seeing, you know, the type of work that she's done that has shed lights on these things. But like, are these organizations, I know Julie, you know, is, is, is supported by people's donations. Um, do you know more about that? Is that something that people can give towards? Yeah, you know, I, I know Grace is a nonprofit, you know, and they have a website, you know, where people can give. So th- they are 
Um, they are a nonprofit, a ministry. Um, and then, you know, there are many others who are doing this kind yeah. of work, you know, yeah. and you know, Jimmy Hinton is one that, that, that comes to mind. You know, he and his mom, you know, are, are running a podcast and doing a lot of good work and, and they see it as a ministry from what I understand. And so I, I think there are a number of people out there and groups and organizations who are engaging in not-for-profit work, and there's ways that people can support that kind of work. Well, and it seems like that's something someone can do who might be listening and just, like, I feel like incensed sometimes by some of those things. And so I'm sure I'm not the only one. And so we're so grateful. I'm so grateful for the time you're giving us here and also for your insight. Your book, man, it's it's literally full of, I mean, you get into all this stuff in a, in a very detailed manner. Anyone who's listening who hasn't read this book, it's called Something's Not Right. Uh, you need to get this book. Uh, if you are, have struggled or are you know, going through a situation where family members are, have, have experienced um, any form of spiritual abuse and other forms of abuse, but I think this, this is such a great resource. So grateful for that. Any last minute thoughts? Um, give us a little hope for an Eeyore. You're like me. We're both Eeyores. But give us a Oh, close out. <laughs> uh, well, the, the the hope is that people are uh, sharing their stories and they are receiving validation and affirmation, and um, and the more the more that can happen, I think the more we can see change in the church. And my hope and my dream is that the church, our churches, like at the local level, you know, will become increasingly safer for our kids over time. Yeah. And I, I really do think that that's happening. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, and it's happening because of your work. And I'm really, again, thankful for you being here. Uh, guys, you can follow Dr. Mullen on Twitter. Uh, he's got a website. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, WadeTMullen.com. Is that right? Yes. And um, uh, is there any other venues you'd like to be followed in or are those the main uh, places? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, you know, um, a lot. And I do have Facebook and Instagram, but I don't use it too often, but I'm on social media. Too. Well, good. Uh, that's awesome. And uh, guys, if you're uh, here uh, for the first time, thank you again for listening in. And if you want to, if you've gone through a story and, and want to find out more about my story, get the book Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. Um, you can find out a ton of resources about it. Just go to our website, livingwithpower.org. got uh, study guides and just a bunch of free stuff for you to enjoy every thursday i'll be back here so come on and tune in next week again you can look in our archives we've got some great episodes here that we've recorded in the past that i think you might enjoy and mostly we're just glad you're here if you are listening and you have gone through um any kind of abuse and need uh, more help and direction i'd love to hear from you my email is lena l-i-n-a at livingwithpower.org um, there's a lot of places we can point you. One great thing, I guess, given the topic today, you might want to check out Dr. Mullen's resources page with a bunch of uh, websites and numbers that you can call and take advantage of if you're hurting and maybe are facing a situation that feels too big for you. So again, thank you all for being here and I'll see you again next week.